we start with those brutally long lineups at YVR, the airport warning travelers, make sure you show up early, prepare for long waits when you arrive. The problem, staff shortages at the airport, especially for security screening. Have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter Grace Key. I've never seen this in my life, and I travel quite often. It's actually pretty ridiculous. A, B, and C screening will be down this way. I don't see the end of the line. It's my first time here. Yes. I have no idea where I'm going. I guess we just have to be patient. The problem, a staffing shortage with CATSA, the federal agency responsible for passenger screening. Ultimately, this is a security function. Uh, that is the responsibility of CATSA on behalf of the federal government. And while we can do these mitigation measures, they are by definition mitigation. They don't address the core problem and the core challenge is staffing. Okay. The voice you heard at the end there was the vice president to the airport, Mike McNanny, who was a guest on the show yesterday. Today, let's talk about what it's like on the front lines here with these long waits. My guest is Dave Flowers. Dave is the president of the union that represents airline screeners, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers. And I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Hey, Dave, thanks for coming on today. Uh, Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me on today. You bet. Thanks a lot. Dave, what is the problem here? What is what is causing these long lines here to get through security at the airport? You represent the security screeners. What's happening? Yeah, we do. We do. We do. Uh, if I, I'll start by saying this issue isn't created by our members. This is an issue uh, that is not a negotiation issue. It would be an issue without unions or contracts in place, quite frankly. This is a, a problem due to mismanagement of human resources by CASA and its uh, third-party contractors such as Allied and Garda in the provinces of BC and Ontario. And, and quite frankly, we're starting to hear about it in other parts of the country, too. These okay, CATSA is... Direct... So CATSA, yeah, CATSA, sorry. Yeah, I was just going to point out, CATSA is the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority, which is a federal crown agency that, that does the airport security screening. So when I was speaking to the vice president to the airport yesterday, he repeatedly made that point. He's like, oh, don't blame the airport. This is down to the feds. This is down to the federal government. So when you talk about that mismanagement, what do you mean? What have they mismanaged? Well, quite frankly, they knew uh, a long time ahead of time that uh, pent up, uh, frustrations and, and wanting the air travel was going to come back. Uh, we've been telling not only the contractors, but CASA for some time uh, to address this issue, and, uh, and they haven't. Um, we're, well, from what we're hearing from our members, uh, they're having a hard time recruiting and retaining for two main reasons, low wages and challenging work conditions. Uh, and what do I mean by challenging work conditions? Um, they're ha- because of these shortages, they're having uh, to limit lunch and bathroom breaks, higher work demands, health and safety issues, and just general poor treatment of workers. Our members are having to do more with less. Dave, you, you mentioned low wages. How, how much do the workers make? So if you're a, a, a security screener at the airport, how much does that job pay? Well, it depends because uh, they have they have leveling scales up. Uh, they top out uh, at just around twenty two dollars an hour. That's the ac- absolute top if they have reached the wait, top the wage scale there. Right, and so did you say you guys don't have a contract right now? Well, we're in contract negotiations. That has nothing to do with these long lineups, though. I can tell you that the contract negotiations yeah. that are ongoing and have been ongoing are, are not the result of these lineups. The the, the issue is 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 retaining and training. Um, they are having a hard time attracting people and then retaining them. 
Right. So people don't want to work as a, a security screener at the airport for 22 bucks an hour. Why, why not? Like, is it a really difficult job? It, it is. And especially right now it is because uh, the, the working conditions are, are really tough. And, and just to put it in perspective, uh, you know, the minister said that they're trying to hire and that's not a lie. They are trying to hire. But in a lot of cases, they're hiring with minimal training just to fill holes. And to no fault of these members, that puts further strain on the fully qualified members who are now having frequent and unpredictable schedule changes as a result. If you can think of it, they're hiring, putting the, the uh, minimal training into certain places that might be ideal and having to put the fully trained, qualified people all over the place and in sometimes undesirable shifts. So that, that what is it like for is your- the problem. What is it like for your people on the front line as people deal with these these mind-numbing lineups at the airport? It's got to be so frustrating for people, missing their flights, people stressing out, trying to get through these long security lineups. Are your people on the front line, are they hearing grumbling? Are they taking some grief there on the job? I think they were at the beginning. Um, yeah, uh, passengers' frustrations tend to boil over. Um, we're trying to encourage the traveling public to be patient and understand that this isn't something created by our staff. Um, this is created by CATS and its third parties. Uh, and the more we put emphasis on that, I think um, we're starting to see some support for our membership as they get to the front of these lineups. But yeah, definitely. Um, the more frustrated passengers get, the more they tend to take it out when they get through uh, security. Yeah, it's definitely putting a strain uh, on an already uh, delicate situation. Speaking of Dave Flowers, he's the president of the union that represents airport security screeners and a shortage of those workers causing those lineups at YVR and other airports. Let me play a clip here for you, Dave, from the federal transportation minister, Omar Al-Gabra, who was asked about this this week. And here's what he had to say, and I'll get your thoughts. No quick fix to this problem. Are we going to see elimination of lineups immediately? I'll be honest with you. I don't think so. It's not going, it's not going to be uh, a magic wand or a silver bullet. Okay, so he does not have a, a magic wand. He says he doesn't have a silver bullet to fix this. But you're saying, what, that he should have seen this coming. He should have, he should have known. He should have been ready. Well, that's, that's for certain. I mean, we've been addressing the shortage in manpowers for some time now. Uh, but the minister's not lying. There is no quick fix to fix this. Uh, you can't just wave a wand and have fully trained, qualified people ready to, to take the polls there. He's not lying. It's just something they should have been uh, ready for. And I know that, you know, Katz has said yesterday on their website that they're not immune to recu- recruitment challenges, but we've asked them, what have they done to address it? I mean, we've seen many employers, especially in air transportation, rethink the idea of the industry. And these employers have made the necessary changes to attract and retain. Uh, you're seeing it all over. But our agencies here pretend that this didn't exist until now. And quite frankly, it's too late to fix it prior to travel returning and rebounding to pre-pandemic levels. So what do you think they should have done? What They should give the workers a raise so they can attract more people to do the job. Is that what it is? Or? It's not specifically to a raise, although, uh, you know, you know, compensation in this industry, it's a, it's a very competitive industry right now. Compensation is one thing, but um, the working conditions, I mean, you've seen it already. I think it's been reported. Um, we have members that are just up and quitting uh, just based on the working conditions. So, yes, wages are wages are an issue, but it's not it's not the driving force uh, it's there. There are very challenging working conditions our members are being asked to work in. 
And and so yeah, the the wages come become a factor, but the working conditions they're being asked to work through, and now it's a vicious circle because the the more that there is a lack of staff to assist in this, the more that these are being asked to do, and the more frequent their schedule changes are, and they're they're just being asked to do a lot with less. So it, it's generally coming down to working conditions and wages from what we're hearing from our members. Yeah. Hey, Dave, last question for you. You heard the minister say there he doesn't have a magic wand. Does he at least have a plan to fix this thing? I mean, have they have they shared any of that with you as the as the union representing these workers? Here's how we're going to fix this. Uh, well, no, we're that's what we're asking for. We're asking and we're urging CASA and Transport Canada to make these contractors like Garda and Allied Universal accountable because their contracts to the employees are to provide a service to the to the public with public dollars that's not being provided right now. The minister said yesterday, please remember uh, that, or sorry, that these, uh, that they are a headcount of resources. And we're asking members or the general public to remember that screening officers are not a headcount or a resource. They're people, as suggested by the minister. So we would like the minister, CASA, Transport Canada, to make these contractors accountable. Okay. Uh, and uh, and and uh, and help with this issue. And and should they do that, we we think that this can help. But I, I won't lie. This is uh, this is something that without the proper uh, addressment from the the federal government, that this could uh, this could get a lot worse before better uh, as we uh, head into a heavy travel season. Dave, thank you for coming on this morning. I appreciate it. Mike, if I can, one final comment that's really important to us. If I can ask the general public to just be patient with our members and be supportive. It's not them that have caused this, and they're doing everything they can possible to make sure everybody gets through as fast as possible and as safely as possible. uh, If you have an opportunity, uh, please show some support to these, these workers. All right, here we go now with our gas price debate. The pain at the pumps becoming acute once again. Gas prices spiking across Metro Vancouver. We've got a terrific panel standing by on this. First, have a listen to this report now from Global News reporter John Hua. The summer is not going to be any better than previous summers. I mean, there will be disturbances. There will be uh, peaks of demand, especially in the United States. Uh, and we are price takers. To ease the pain, the previously promised $110 ICBC rebate checks should be arriving in May and June. While many argue that's barely enough to fill up a tank, don't expect regular relief from the province. The rebate that's been, uh, that was announced is what is going out. Uh, and as I said, it's based on, uh, on ICBC's uh, finances. Okay, so you heard the ICBC rebate checks are in the mail. $110 is what you will receive. Will it make a difference as gas prices soar once again across Metro Vancouver? All right, let's discuss now with my guest, Bob Deeth. Bob is the NDP MLA, Maple Ridge Mission. Very pleased to welcome him back to the show. Bob, thanks a lot for coming on today. Oh, thanks, Mike. Nice to be on. Also on the line, Peter Millibar, Liberal MLA, Kamloops North Thompson. Peter, thank you for being here. Always a pleasure, Mike. Okay, Peter, let me go to you first. Gas prices on the rise again. What do you think the government should do about it? Well, I think we have to actually look at government policy. Uh, January 1st, they brought in a 25 cent a litre surcharge on fuel being trucked in from Alberta. Uh, we have the highest gas taxes on top of that in North America. And then when you look at neighboring jurisdictions, Alberta uh, and Saskatchewan were, you know, 50, 60 cents a litre more expensive. So, 
certainly uh, government has a part to play in this. And, and to this point, the premier's been unwilling to take any action. Okay, Bob Deeth, what do you say to that? Well, the reality is, is that uh, while the opposition likes to focus on taxes, the real cause, uh, Mike, of uh, the spike in gas is, as we know, the the war, the Russians' unprovoked war of Ukraine, and and gas prices are uh, really a, a function of, of uh, world prices. So this is a this is a, a global phenomenon that's going on. And while we appreciate that, obviously people are feeling pain uh, pain at the pump. This is really a, an issue of uh, global prices uh, that is creating the increase, not the tax. The tax is going up one cent. Uh, prices are going up thirty, forty cents. So I think the opposition's idea of reducing taxes doesn't make sense. And, and in fact, when Alberta you reduce the taxes, because we don't control the price, what happens? Well, the gas companies will. Thank you very much. We'll take the profit. So, that's so we have that's other ideas true. about how to do that. That's simply Go not ahead, factually. Well, that's simply factually incorrect. Uh, the government tried saying that that was happening in Alberta before the the tax relief even came into play. It came in on April first. Uh, gas prices dropped by uh, what the tax that was removed. No one is suggesting that the war in Ukraine doesn't uh, play a part in this. Uh, but Alberta is subject uh, to market influences based on what's going on in Ukraine as well. Yet there's still 50 to 60 cents a litre uh, less than B.C. at the same point in time today. And that's what people are worried about. How are they going to fill up their vehicle to get to work? Uh, think of the extra cost to agriculture as they're getting into planting season uh, and all of the equipment they need to run, the extra cost to, to truck our goods around. Um, this has a ripple effect, and, and there's been no relief and no measures taken by this government whatsoever okay. to try to provide well, relief for anyone at the pump. That's actually not true, Peter, uh, because the fact is, is that uh, ICBC is releasing $400 million, $400 million, to ratepayers as a rebate um, because we were able to fix uh, uh, the Kevin Falcon's dumpster fire at ICBC and give a $110 rebate. And that will help about eight, about eight cents a litre for people, which is a significant amount of relief, which is actually more than the relief that I think uh, your party is, is suggesting. And, and quite frankly, because we don't control uh, gas prices, um, we have to do things that were, are in our control. So this is a, a these checks are going to be going up this month, and it's it's going to help people a lot. Uh, it's per policy, and I think these types of measures are great. And and it's only possible because we were able to clean up the mess at ICBC. Peter, what do you say to that? Well, I mean, it was announced a while ago. We're still waiting for BCUC to sign off on on the checks. The checks will be out sometime late May or early June. In the meantime, uh, the cabinet and the premier made sure they give themselves retroactive pay raises, which are probably already in their bank account to the tune of $10,000. You know, the simple fact is this. Four years ago, the premier said he was working on a plan in the coming weeks if gas prices stayed high. Well, they've stayed high for 216 weeks now. The premier has still not come up with a plan to address them. Uh, In the meantime, they've added a government policy that adds 25 cents a litre to all fuel trucked in across the BC-Alberta border. That started on January 1st. Um, that, That constrains our supply even further, which puts added pressure to the price of the pump. We have the highest gas prices in North America and the highest gas taxes. Those are facts. And the government has done nothing to address any of it. Speaking of Peter Millibar, Liberal MLA, Bob Deeth, NDP MLA. Bob, when you take a look at taxes on gasoline in British Columbia, you mentioned that the carbon tax only went up 
one cent on April 1st, but that still adds to a tax burden here in British Columbia that, as Peter described it, the highest gas taxes in North America. Why not give people a break and cut some of those gas taxes at least temporarily like they did next door in Alberta? Well, because the experts have, have told us that uh, if you cut taxes, because, look, this is the fact, Mike, we don't control gas prices. We, we might control taxes, but the prices that are going up, the 30, 40 cents in gas prices, that is because yeah. of the global price on gas that is being set around the world. So if we reduce taxes, that doesn't guarantee that the prices of, uh, of gas are going to go down. Quite the opposite. In fact, the experts have said that, hey, you do that, and gas companies have no incentive necessarily to decrease the price. So, so what we've looked at is what can we do? What's within our power to do? And things like reducing premiums at ICBC. We were able to reduce that yeah. by $500 on average a year. We cut tolls on the bridges. This, these are tolls that uh, Kevin Falk and the BC Liberals would, would like to still be there. It's $1,500 a year. And that's, that's a heck of a lot of gas right, that uh, people can put in their gas. Uh, in their gas Peter, tank. Peter Millibar. Well, well, I think we have to look at this, and, and the government does control taxation, and uh, it's one expert that has said uh, that, not experts. Uh, but but let's let's talk about the, you know the fact that just this week or early or late last week, uh, Minister Heyman admitted that uh, cabinet and Treasury Board are open to the concept of mobility pricing on the roads in the Lower Mainland to tax people every kilometer that they drive. Um, you know, if you want to talk about adding costs to people trying to get around and commute. Uh, that's going to be extremely damaging. The, the minister would not dismiss that as, a, as an idea, and he's actually open to it, and they, they're willing to consider it and will consider it. What? Um, that's a big problem for commuters in the lower mainland when it comes to trying to get around on your daily commute, either for work or to get your kids uh, to where they need to go, let alone the transportation of goods. Speaking of getting around on a daily commute and the transportation of goods, Bob Deeth, what do you say to people who are listening right now who are just getting hammered by these gas prices? Like when you take a look at prices around North America, we've got the highest gas prices on the continent here. Just next door in Alberta, go over to Saskatchewan, the price of gas is like 40, 50 cents a litre less here than British Columbia. I'm already getting emails from listeners this morning who are just getting hammered at the gas pump, especially if they're running a, a trucking company or they've got a They've got to drive for their job. What do you say to them? Like, what do you say to the people who are getting getting hammered here at the pump? Well, yeah, we absolutely know that people are feeling pain at the pump. And, and as we all know, this is, as I said, being caused by a global issue that's happening in yeah. Ukraine. So uh, this, this is a, a question of what the government can and cannot control. And, and the fact is, is that we are giving, you'll be getting checks. Everyone will be getting checks, uh, like $400 million. That's a lot of money, Mike, that's going out to yeah. people to put in their pockets. And uh, in addition to the, the other savings that we've had, we've been working as a government since the day we got in to make life more affordable, getting rid of MSP premiums, for example, something the BC Liberals would have kept, getting rid of tolls on those bridges, Portman and Golden Airs Bridge, huge save, $1,500 yeah. for people in Maple Ridge. $500 a year in ICBC premiums. That's huge savings. Then you add childcare. I mean, we're talking, you know, over some families, $20,000, $25,000 a year in affordability. So, yes, yes, people are getting uh, hit at the pump. We respect that. That's It's a tough time in the world right now. 
But we're doing our very best to make life more affordable. We've been doing that since the day we got in because we put people in the center of our policy. All right. Talking gas prices going through the roof again. Lots of phone calls here. Dave in Surrey. Hi, Dave. Go ahead. Hi, how you doing, Mike? Uh, I just want to make a comment about the uh, money that uh, was saved through ICBC's uh, or from ICBC's uh, dumpster fire. That came on the backs of innocent people sitting uh, and being hit by somebody driving offensively, and they've lost their safe drivers because we now have no fault. On top of everything else, the checks that are going out are also going out to electric vehicles. They're not paying (laughs) anything at the pump. So we're we're paying for it. We're paying for it. We're only getting our own money back and not even enough of it. Yeah. Okay, Dave, thank you for that. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah, the gas price rebate at ICBC is also going to people who own electric cars. <laughs> oh. And ICBC's explanation for that, by the way, they said, oh, listen, it would have been too much trouble to go into ICBC's database and try to figure out the, the power source of every vehicle in the province. Like, forget it. Just give everybody the money. So, yeah, so if you own an electric vehicle, you're getting the gas price rebate. See if you can untangle that pretzel logic there. Mava in Vancouver. Hi. Hi. Hi there, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. I I was listening to your guests. I'm sorry I forgot their names. Uh, one of the guests was saying that the reason the price uh, Vancouver is paying more for gas uh, is because of the war. However, right. uh my question is, what about Alberta? Does the war not affect Alberta, or is it just the Vancouver area? Well, thank you for that. Well, the reason the price is dramatically lower in Alberta is because they got dramatically lower taxes. That's why. I mean, of course, the war is affecting gas prices in Alberta and everywhere else. I mean, the prices have gone up, but they, haven't, they just haven't gone up to the level that they are in B.C. because we've got the highest gas taxes in North America, way higher than Alberta, way higher than these other provinces. So that's why they're paying less. Peter and Kamloops. Hey, Peter. Yeah, hey. Um, I got a couple of three points I'd like to make. Uh, one is I have to drive for, in order to earn my living. I have, I, I have no choice. So this $110 is really a joke. It, you know, when you took and make it um, the difference in price between here and Alberta, it works out to roughly $35 a tank. So I have to buy a tank of gas yeah. at least once a week. That's $140 a month. Now, the next one I got is he was uh, the uh, the fellow from the NDP party was bragging about taking the tolls off the bridge. Okay, well, that's right. great for people in the lower mainland. Now, I'm paying for a bridge I don't drive on. Yeah. yeah. The, no, thank, thank you. Thank that. you for that, Peter. Thank you for that. Just in the interest of time, move along. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the government will constantly make that argument around the bridge tolls they will remind people they took those bridge tolls off but you're right you, you don't live in the lower mainland you know you don't drive over those bridges anyway dave and mission hey dave go ahead hey mike thanks for taking my call uh quick sure. point uh why can the government why could the government control prices when the uh, floods happen but if they decided to drop the gas tax they can't say to the oil companies look we're dropping our gas tax. You can't up it 15 or 20 cents a liter, whatever they drop it. I've never heard that asked. So I would, I would next time you have uh, one of them on there, ask them that. Well, thank you for that. The I do think it's kind of ironic that 
the government loves to say this is about those big greedy oil companies and they're gouging you at the gas pump and they did pass a law called the price transparency actor in bc something like that and what it does is it requires the gas companies when they raise their prices to disclose the reason that they're raising the prices to the bc utilities commission and this is supposed to prevent the gouging because they're now they're now required to rationalize and explain it when prices go up so at, but at the same time they still keep saying they're gouging you anyway. I mean, you heard the NDP MLA make that argument again. Like you said, if we cut gas taxes, the gas companies will jack up the price anyway. They'll just gouge you. Well, you, you know, you guys said you passed a law to prevent the gouging. So it doesn't seem like it's a very effective law if the gouging, so-called gouging, is going on anyway. Lynn and Kamloops. Hi, Lynn. What do you think? Hi, Mike. Um, Hi. I think that the caca flowing from the NDP mouths is just ridiculous. It's, it's almost flowing as fast as they're collecting the taxes. Um, somebody like me on a disability, um, I'm 20, where I live, I'm 20 minutes to the closest store, an hour and a half to my doctor. My disability hasn't gone up. Wages aren't going up, but yeah. 110 bucks is supposed to make me happy? Like, I don't think so, dude. Like, Yeah, their right. contract loads pretty quickly. All right, here we go now with soaring student debt loads at record highs. College and university students racking up millions of dollars in unpaid student loans. Many struggling to make the payments. Interest rates on the rise. That's why governments and politicians making promises to write off student debt, forgive student loans. The campaign to cancel student debt gaining steam here in Canada and the United States. U.S. President Joe Biden indicating he is ready to cancel student debt. Have a listen here. Here's President Joe Biden. I am considering dealing with some debt reduction. I'm in the process of taking a hard look at whether or not there are going to, there will be additional debt forgiveness. Okay, that's U.S. President Joe Biden speaking the other day about student debt forgiveness in the United States. There is a campaign here in Canada to do the same thing. Lots of students struggling with those student loans. Why not just cancel them so you don't have to pay them back at all? Just forget it. We will forgive the student debt. Jugmeet Singh, the federal NDP leader, that's what he wants. Have a listen. Students are dealing with record levels of debt and people are struggling. Students are struggling when they graduate. So we want to go beyond eliminating entirely interest. We want to also forgive student debt to help our young people, to give them that first step, to make sure that they're not being crushed under the weight of that debt. We are going to forgive student debt as well. Okay, federal NDP leader Jugmeet Singh. All right, should we do this now? Should we just forgive student debt, saying that's okay, you don't have to pay the money back now? Let's discuss with my guest, Ari Goldkind. Pleased to welcome him back. Ari is a lawyer and a political and legal expert. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Hi, Ari. Thanks for coming on today. Great to be with you, Mike. Okay, Ari, I, I uh, imagine that for, for someone like yourself, law school is not cheap, and I know other people who have racked up big big debts when they were going to law school. What do you think of this idea? Just cancel those I, debts, saying you don't have to pay it back. I think this is one of the more insidious and sickening ideas that's come up in our far-left politics. First of all, the idea that Joe Biden can take a hard look at anything is itself a joke. And the fact that Jagmeet Singh, who's a criminal lawyer like myself, most Canadians yeah. don't know that, okay? Yes. He and I practiced 
in the same building together. I would see him in the cells. Now, he's obviously gone on to bigger and arguably much better things. But this is insidious. And you know what this does, Mike? And I'm going to date myself. I am 48. I'm not a millennial, thank God. But anybody who's watched Seinfeld, this is the episode of Seinfeld where Jerry and Kramer are having a discussion about writing something off. And Kramer doesn't even know what a write-off means, but he goes, we're going to write it off. And Jerry's point is, who's going to pay for this when it's written off? This is another one of the very far left ideas that is only good for their constituents and the people they know will vote for them. But if you're an ordinary average Canadian who's going to work today, who decided to get a trade, decided to be a plumber, decided to do anything other than rack up debt thinking that that's going to go off and make you six figures, guess who's paying for all of this loan forgiveness? It is, to me, an absolute slap in the face of anybody smart enough to not vote for the NDP. I wonder if you think it might be a bit of a slap in the face, too, for people who went to college or university, racked up some student loans, and worked their tails off to pay it back. Like, I remember when I was at university, my parents didn't have much money. I had to get student loans to get through. And I remember thinking, like, oh, my God, I owe thousands of dollars to the bank here in these student loans. It's going to take me forever to pay off. It was quite stressful. But you know what? I got it done. I was able to pay it off eventually. And, um, you know, and, and I look back on it now as a bit of a, a learning experience. So, you know, there, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners in the same, same boat. Your thoughts? And, and we hadn't even got to that yet. So you stole yeah. a bit of my thunder. All kudos to you which is, this is a deal you make with yourself. This is an insult to all the hardworking Canadians. By the way, just to speak the NDP language where everything is racial and everything is this and that and the other, this also ignores all the loans that Asians, black people, Muslims, Jews, um, new immigrants to Canada have taken. This is asking that for the people that things didn't go their way or haven't yet gone their way, that every other Canadian subsidize their education. And again, I want to go to the facts for a minute because I'm going to blow your mind with a CBC fact check because I'm actually going to talk about the CBC in a moment. But this is the same thing as somebody making a million dollars a year who decides to buy a house for four million, okay? And the mortgage doesn't go well. They go underwater. Hold on. Are other Canadians supposed to pay for that? Now, you contrast that to the person making a million dollars a year that wants to live within their means and buys a home for $675,000 a year. So your point about all the people like me and many other thousands of people who took debt, worked their butt off, this is literally just an appeal to a very small number of Canadians, millennials, and in the States, let's bring it back to Biden, a very small number of squad, if you know the term, the squad, those kinds of millennial voters. But again, Mike, my bias is open. Anybody listening to you who's going to light up your board and go, he's biased. Yes, I am biased for the ordinary, average, hardworking, tax-paying Canadian, whether they go to university and have a white-collar job. I'm as interested in the plumber, the tradesperson, the construction worker, the healthcare worker, the personal support worker, all of whom who would hear the numbers being tossed around now that they would have to pick up and be apoplectic. And the reason I said CBC is Jugmeet Singh 
actually lied when he said the government profits off these student loans. The CBC, which is no friend of anything in the middle or anything conservative or anything to the right, came out and called his claim false, is that not only does the government, our government, paid for by us, lose money on these loans and the interest, the government doesn't even come close to breaking even. So if you trust the NDP to do the books and to do the numbers, this country will look even worse than it does in this insane inflationary period. Speaking to Ari Goldkind about the campaign to forgive and write off student debt, should we cancel student loans? Another thought that crosses my mind, Ari, is that there have been lots of studies about the value of higher education. If you've got a college or a university degree, you typically will do pretty well once you get a job and the the income you receive will be typically higher if you've got that higher education. Does that therefore make the loan worth it? Like, I mean, like if someone racks up a ton of money studying to be a lawyer or a doctor, okay, that's a lot of debt you got to pay off, but you're going to be making a pretty tidy income at the end of the day when you have that degree as well. So shouldn't you be required to pay that back? I mean, you're going to be making more money. Not only that, but here's the part where, again, Jagmeet Singh, he, and by the way, he knows the falsity of this, okay? If he was on right now and we strapped him up to a polygraph, he knows that this is ridiculous. He knows. He's not an unintelligent man. But to your question, this is such an insult because if you look at what are called legacy admissions you can define that for your audience or i will because it's a big part of the story which is if you look at what happens to the families of people who have degrees their children then are more likely to get a higher education if you look at harvard half of harvard are the kids of people that went to harvard not only do you make more money in life arguably forget these liberal arts degrees and all these other things that we're talking about but just the education the university degree sets you up and by the way i'm not saying this is a good thing i often have much more respect for a hard-working construction worker or a personal support worker than i do for a liberal arts degree that you know calls themselves a doctor uh, like Jill Biden, but if they're on a plane and somebody goes, you need a doctor, they ain't putting their hand up. So don't get me wrong. I don't admire myself any more than I admire a person uh, who could do a trade or fix something. I can fix nothing, okay? But that's the part of this ideological argument that's so insidious because not only are they benefiting off a choice they made, they're asking that everybody else who made a different choice and didn't enter that field literally pay their bill. Let's not complicate this situation, Mike. They are asking the Canadian body politic, people who would never vote for this, to pay the bill that they chose. And that, to me, which is, again, maybe I'm 48 and I sound like an old man. The fact that we don't teach basic economics and civics in this class, the idea that you're asking people who chose to go a different way or to go be in a union or to go apply a trade, you would think in the NDP, people who joined a union, because that's who the NDP also caters to. You would think they would be apoplectic about this to pay the bill for people who go to U of T or UBC and sit on a campus leafing through philosophy textbooks. My goodness. All right. Welcome back to the show. As we continue talking about the campaign for student loan forgiveness, Ari Goldkind is my guest. Tons of phone calls. John in Vancouver. Hi, John. Go ahead. Hey, Mike. Uh, You know, 
really short story could be longer, but really short. You know, I came to Canada as an immigrant and I came with nothing. Actually, the government of Canada had to loan me money to buy a ticket to get here. Okay. I got here. I got student loans. I went to school. Eventually, I joined government. Hmm. So the issue is, if I paid it, why should anybody else pay it? You know, who else would have been in a worse condition than I was? Yeah. And if they forgive everybody, do they give me a refund? <laughs> I know. I know. It's like for the people who've already worked their tails off to, to pay their student loans off, I don't think you're going to be getting a retroactive payment to cover your, to cover your sacrifices. Ari, your thoughts? Uh, I, I agree with everything you said, obviously, because I've been talking about that before I met your caller. I think his, his answer is wise in two ways. One, the sheer obviousness of the ludicrousy of the Biden, and I don't think it's Joe Biden, by the way. It's the far left part of the Biden uh, campaign that rules over him. We don't have time to get into how horrible that is. But the Jugmeet Singh plan, which even by the numbers is false, but he used an important word there, immigrant. And as much as we're told that if you're an immigrant, you must think like Trudeau, you must think like Jugmeet Singh. If you speak to ordinary average immigrants that view Canada as the holy grail, and come here and want to work and want to make this country better and we'll take jobs in mcdonald's and we'll take jobs in groceries and we'll take jobs as they run the ladder up they become better and better and more and more skilled they have much more conservative principles about debt and financing and taxes than the media will ever tell you so to hear this gentleman talk about his immigrant experience you know the, the ndp will tell you they've got the corner and the liberals will do on immigrants but if you look at numbers on economic policy, there yeah. is no chance on the planet, Mike, and I would, I would dis- debate this with anybody. There's no chance on the planet that an immigrant who's come here and worked their butt off, worked yeah. their butt off, would, when they hear that somebody's sitting at UBC and going to Stanley Park at lunch and reading through the textbooks I made a joke about earlier, which is fine, good for you if that's your choice. But the idea that the government would pay that debt off while an immigrant yeah. works 22 hours a day, that's insane. Okay, let's go back to the phone lines. Who do we got next there, Tim? Alex in Vancouver. Hi, Alex. Go ahead. Hey, guys. How you doing? Um, so I got two daughters in university. Um, they both got RESPs. I think every parent should get an RESP and get it started and get as much money into your RESP as possible. But you know what? When they run out of their RESPs, when they want to do their second degree, guess what? They got to go get a student loan and they got to work their butts off and pay it off just like I had to. Otherwise, it adds to the culture of entitlement and um, just hand me out and the far left thinking that, oh, just hand me this. I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. Just hand it to me. No, I say no, absolutely not. Okay, thanks for the call. Let's squeeze in a few more. James in Kelowna. Hi, James, go ahead. Hi, I completely Hi. agree with Ari's um, perspective here. Um, I, I went to university. I, I took out student loans. It took me 12 years to pay them back, and it was the yeah. best thing that ever happened to me, uh, paying it back. It, it makes people work harder to do it, and we, we just can't keep, you know, giving money out to, to people all the time. Um, Thank you. You've got to work for what you get. Thank you for that. Squeeze in another one. Colin in North Vancouver. Hi, Colin. Hi. 
these forgiving of the loans, th- this money comes from somewhere. My guess yeah. is a bank. Do you think the banks are now going to want to give out a loan and they know their money ain't coming back to them? Unless, of course, the bank is going to get subsidized for that money that's never coming back to them. And who would be subsidizing? My guess, maybe your guest knows, the government. And the government, that points to you. And it points to me. Well, of course, it'll be taxpayers that bail out the banks uh, for any uh, loans that are forgiven. Ari, you got 30 seconds to wrap up there. Yeah, one. First, when your second first call said giving money to the RESP, I got excited thinking he was sending it to me. Two, it's not paid for by the bank. It's paid for by the taxpayer, which means your callers. And three, the same issue that's going to come up here is in Toronto the other day, and I'll do this in 15 seconds. They're going to get rid of all the entrance exams for high school gifted students and those good at sports and uh, the arts. Why? Because they want equity. So, so as long yeah. as you're interested in it, all the entrance exams are waived. So we're in this world where everybody gets a gold star. And when you're in a world where everybody gets a gold star, Mike, nobody gets a gold star. And I'll leave it at that.